Welcome once again to Searching the Scriptures radio broadcast. We do appreciate you tuning in again today as we open the Word of God and look into the precious truths contained in this blessed old book. We appreciate you tuning in. I'm Pastor Travis Alltop, and this is a ministry of Bluegrass Pike Baptist Church from right here in Danville, Kentucky. And as always, we encourage the listening audience, those of you tuned in today, that you would follow along with us in the Word of God, that you might see the truth for yourself. Uh, We have no agendas, and we're not trying to persuade people of our opinions, but rather we try to rest and will rest our feet firmly on the promises of this blessed old book and point you to those promises because we are interested in what the Bible actually says and not merely what it is presumed to teach. And so this week we're going to go back to Luke chapter 24 and continue to discuss these halfway home disciples, uh, as I often refer to them as. And I'm talking about, uh, in way of review from last week's lesson, talking about in Luke 24, beginning in verse 13, the two disciples who were on the road to Emmaus. Now, it was Sunday afternoon. It was the day of our Lord's resurrection. And uh, they should have known better than they knew. They're going down the road, and we found out last week the Lord encounters them. He walks up next to them as they travel, and they're talking. And he asks them in verse 7, 17, excuse me, he says, What manner of communications are these that you have one to another as you walk and are sad? And we talked about how that the Lord was uh, easily could detect by how they were talking and probably by the countenances on their face how they were depressed, they were sad. And we talked about that uh, sadness, a continual discouragement in depressed believers, a uh, depressed Christian is a terrible recommendation for the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. Ours is one of joy and peace, not a false happiness that skips along saying everything's wonderful. Uh, No, life, even for the Christian, can be very difficult. Christians get cancer. Christians get laid off. uh, Christians have financial trouble. Christians have sickness. I don't care what these TV preachers say. Uh, Listen, you're going to have the regular things that an old cursed world uh, deals with. Your life is going to be spent laboring and sorrowing. And when you get born again, you just add one more thing into the arsenal that the world can use against you. And so we're not talking about a life without trouble. But I am telling you this, that the life of the Christian is supposed to be one that reeks and, and uh, gives off uh, that essence of peace and joy. And while I realize there, there may be seasons in life that are heavier than others, nevertheless, that joy and that peace can flow like a river even during the darkest of your hours. And those, uh, you'll find that promise throughout the Word of God. And so a Christian that's constantly depressed is a terrible recommendation for the faith. And you know, I think one of the reasons, before we move on, I didn't much get into this last week, but one of the reasons for the depression and the discouragement that you seem to see throughout the, ch- the professing church today is the emphasis on yourself. Listen, uh, you go to the average Christian bookstore. Let's just say Lifeway. Go to Nashville, down to Lifeway, and you walk in there. You won't find doctrinal studies, commentaries, and and the, the books that you could get from 100, 200 years ago. No, you're going to find a lot of bubble gum for the brain. You say, what do you mean? Oh, it'll be stuff like self-help and self-esteem and self-knowledge and self-exam. Listen, if you start looking at yourself all the time, no wonder you're depressed. The truth of the matter is the Christian is not to be occupied and taken up with himself, but rather we're to look off from ourselves at the Lord Jesus You say, well, that's how you get saved. Yes, that's how you get saved, and that's how you continue walking in victory. 
That song says, turn your eyes upon Jesus and the things of this world will grow strangely dim. We're instructed in the book of Hebrews in chapter 12 as Christians. It says, it says this, it says we're to be, quote, looking unto Jesus. These are people that are saved. We're to be, quote, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Look to Jesus Christ for victory. Look to him for joy. Look to him for wisdom. Look to him, friend, and quit looking at yourself. Self is what got us into this mess to begin with. And so one of the reasons, that's just one reason so many folks seem to be discouraged and, and down these days. They're preoccupied with themselves. I got news for you. If you look into that heart, Jesus Christ has already looked into it in Mark chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, and given you a clear x-ray of what's in there, and you're not going to enjoy looking at that. No, look to him. Look to that bloody cross, and then look to that empty tomb and realize I can live victoriously because the, resur- the same power that got Jesus Christ up from the dead resides in my heart if you're a born-again Christian. Now, we saw them having sad hearts, but then the Lord listened to them, unburdened their hearts, and they went over all of the previous week's events. And they went over about how the, Jesus had been turned over uh, to the Roman government, how the chief priests and rulers had delivered him to be condemned to death. And they crucified him, of course, outside the city walls of Jerusalem. And they saw him die in what appeared to be weakness and defeat. And Jesus Christ died on that old bloody cross. And then they put his uh, body in a tomb and sealed it there and set uh, soldiers to watch the grave. And these men are have heard about a resurrection. They've read about it. But Jesus Christ rebukes them in verse 25, as we saw last week. He said unto them, verse 25 and Luke 24, he said, O fools, why did he call them fools? It was foolish. They didn't have to be sad. What had made them sad? According to Jesus Christ here in verse 25, he says, O fools, and quote, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. That's a great rebuke. He says, I'm going to tell you why you're sad. Reason your hearts are sad is because your hearts are slow. You're dull of hearing. You didn't listen to me when I was uh, uh, with you during my earthly ministry before I rose from the dead. You didn't listen to what I said. I said I was going to rise from the dead. The Old Testament scriptures promised that. And, and the women had come and told him that they had seen him alive. And the two disciples, Peter and John, that had gone to the tomb, looked in and saw that the grave clothes had been folded, very specifically folded, but there was no body there. Why didn't they believe? Why, weren't they, why were they sad and not rejoicing? Because they were slow of heart to believe. Not the women and not even his earthly ministry, although they could have relied on that. But the truth of the matter is they were slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. He said, ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Well, according to Psalm 22, according to Isaiah 53, and every lamb and sacrifice, sacrificial animal in the Old Testament testified to the fact that the Redeemer would have to shed his blood. The Messiah would shed his blood. He would be wounded for our transgressions, according to Isaiah 53. He was going to be bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. He was wounded for our transgressions of God's law. When you transgress the law of God, you are a sinner. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 4, that the transgression of the law is sin. You want to find out if you're a sinner or not? Just compare your heart and life and your actions and your intentions to the perfect and holy law of God that says, honor thy father and thy mother. Young person, have you always obeyed and honored your parents? 
Well, if you haven't, then you've transgressed the fifth commandment, and that's why Jesus Christ was wounded and suffered. The seventh commandment says, Thou shalt not commit adultery. And most people will quickly say, Well, I haven't stepped out on my wife or haven't stepped out on my husband. Well, Jesus Christ said that's good, but if a man look with lust on a woman to lust after her, he hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. So you can be an adulterer at heart. And judging by the looks and the shifty eyes of men in downtown Danville, I'd say that adultery is going on in the minds and hearts of men and women all across this town and this county and across the state and across the United States on a regular basis. So you've broken that one. That Bible says, Thou shalt not bear false witness. The law of God says it's wrong to lie. Have you ever deceived somebody and lied to them to cover up yourself or to cover up a wrong you've done or to deceive someone? Listen, those are commandments that have been transgressed, boundaries that have been broken, and your sin is an offense to God, so much so that it requires the death penalty. And if you and I received what we deserve, we would die and go down under the wrath of God into hell. But the truth of the matter is, the Bible prophesied that the Messiah would suffer and, quote, be wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. And that Bible says all we like sheep have gone astray and have turned everyone to his own way. That's what sin is. It's you acting independently of God's instructions. You want to be your own God. You don't like the God of the Bible, the God that's your creator. So you ignore him and you rebel against his commandments and you do your, quote, own thing. And so therefore the Bible says you're just like sheep. All we like sheep have gone astray, all of us. There is none righteous, no, not one, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All we like sheep have gone astray and have turned everyone to his own way. But the Lord hath laid on him, speaking of the Lord Jesus, the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. God the Father took all the sins of the world and piled them up on the back of his Son, and all of that suffering, all of the spit, all of the torn flesh, the, the flesh that was whipped until it hung like ribbons off the back of our Lord, the furrows that they plowed upon his back, the blood that rolled from his cheeks as they plucked off the hair, the shame, the hitting, the spitting, and the nails that ran through his precious feet and his precious hands as he hung for six hours on the cross publicly humiliated before a crowd of mockers and blasphemers as they stood there at the cross and watched him for six hours as he died. The blood that poured down the old rugged cross was shed for me and you for our sins. And the Lamb of God took our place as our substitute and went down under the wrath of God and died there for us. And listen, the Bible says he would do these things, but he would do these things before he entered into his glory. Well, if he's going to enter into his glory, that means he was going to come up from the dead. And Jesus Christ is rebuking these two unbelieving disciples for believing the sufferings, but not understanding or believing the resurrection before the uh, Lord entered into his glory. He said, beginning at Moses and the prophets, he expounded unto them all the scriptures, in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. And we talked about that last week. And my friend, you can believe a lot of things, but if you're going to be saved, if you're going to be born again, you must not only believe that Jesus Christ suffered and died for your sins, and that he did. But you must also believe the record according to the scriptures that he, quote, rose from the dead. He rose again the third day. That's the difference. 
These men were sad, sad of heart, because they were slow of heart. But when Jesus Christ, the Bible says here in Luke 24, began to expound the Scriptures to them and show them that the Scriptures prophesied not only that He would suffer, but that He would also rise from the dead. My friend, the Bible says here in verse 31, their eyes were opened and they knew Him. And He vanished out of their sight. Now watch verse 32, and this is where we're going to pick it up today. They said one to another, did not our heart... Watch the change. They were sad of heart, slow of heart. Now look what's going on in their heart. Did not our heart burn within us? It's called Bible heartburn. You know something, friend? If you're saved, preaching will do that to you. Does preaching ever give you heartburn? You're reading your Bible. Does that ever give you heartburn? These men here, once they came to a knowledge and an understanding of the truth, the Scripture says... Their heart did burn within them. That's their testimony. They said one to another. These two disciples, after he expounded, after the Lord had expounded all that was written in the Scriptures, and they came to understand that he was supposed to die, it was prophesied that he would be wounded for our transgressions. But even so, more than that, that wasn't the end of the story because after they put him to death and sealed him in a tomb, three days later, 72 hours later, Jesus Christ came up from the dead. Blessed be his wonderful name. And that is the whole gospel. Man, some guy asked me one time, we were going into the jail years ago. He said, you all full gospel preachers? I said, oh yeah, ain't nothing but the full gospel it's what we believe. He said, hey, praise the Lord. Of course, he was talking about that denomination called the full gospel tabernacles and all of that stuff. And when I quit, was quick to inform him that, yes, I believe the full gospel. I believe that Christ died, was buried, and rose again. That's not what he meant. But that is the full gospel. That's the whole deal right there. That's the good news that you can be saved and that you can be right with God and have eternal life because the man who paid for your sins was accepted. His payment was accepted. How do we know? Because he came up from the dead. The man that died for us was a sinless man. He only died because he had our sins upon him when he was on that cross. But blessed be his wonderful name. He deposited them sins, those sins, excuse me, amen, went down through hell and paradise and came up the other side of the grave and walked out alive. Amen. And you say, well, that's not literal. Of course it is. He asked them later. He said, a spirit, they looked at him and he said, touch me, handle me. Why were they instructed to do that? Because he wanted them to know that I'm standing here physically. I'm in a physical resurrection body in front of you. He said, a spirit hath not flesh and bone that you see me have. He had shed his blood on the cross. He came up in a resurrection body made of flesh and bone. This was a glorified resurrection body, if you will. And he is walking around and telling them, I can't believe you're so slow of heart to believe all these things. And so the two men who heard this expounded said in verse 32, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures. And that's what preaching and that's what Bible reading and Bible study will do for you. It'll give you heartburn. Amen. Now, somebody might be quick to say, well, preacher, I appreciate what you're saying and all, but in verse 32, don't forget that it was actually the Lord that was there. And that's why their heart was burning is because it was Jesus that was expounding the scriptures. Well, I beg your pardon, because you remember something. These men, the Bible says back in verse 16, stay with me now. This is important for you Christians listening in. It says their eyes were holden that they should not know him. So they asked when he said, what are you all sad about? They said, art thou a stranger? They thought he was a stranger 
and was from out of town because he didn't know what had been going on. Haven't you heard about these things? And he said, what things? So as they expound to him and tell him of all of the tragedy over the last week, the happenings there in Jerusalem, he rebukes them. And listen, they didn't know it was Jesus Christ until they had invited him into their home and he had broken bread at their table. Because the Bible says it came to pass there, verse 30, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and break and gave to them and their eyes were opened. They knew who he was when he broke that bread. My opinion, I'm of the opinion that the reason they knew it is when he broke that bread in half, when he snapped that bread and his wrist came upwards and they looked at those hands, they saw the holes and that's when they realized it's him. But now here's the thing. He had expounded the scriptures and their heart had burned with them while they were walking by the way. This was before they knew that it was Jesus Christ himself who was talking to them. So you know what set their heart on fire? Do you know what warmed them internally? It was the scriptures and the promises of the scriptures. That's why we rejoice in the death and not only his death, but we rejoice in his, quote, resurrection from the dead. Why? Because that's what will warm the heart. Some of you who maybe know a little bit about church history may have heard about the conversion of the uh, founder of the Methodist church. He was a great preacher back from the 1700s, back in the 1700s by the name of John Wesley. And I believe it was May 25th of 1738. John Wesley was discouraged. John Wesley before this date had traveled over to America to Savannah, Georgia. I've been actually to the place where he first preached. There's a church building there in Savannah, Georgia that had hosted uh, John Wesley. He came to America back in the 1700s to convert the Indians, and yet he had no gospel to convert them with. He was a holy living man. He believed in God, but he realized when he came over to try to do the work of God, Without Jesus Christ, he realized that he, uh, that he was lost because one of the things he wrote one time was, I came to America to convert the Indians, but who shall convert me? And what had happened was he had been on the ship on the way over to America, and there was a great storm had started. And during that great storm on the sea, uh, he was terrified. He said he did not know that he had really anything to hold on to. And he was afraid that possibly he wasn't really ready to meet God, even though he was trying to do the work of God. And he noticed some people who seemed to be calm during the storm when it looked like there was no hope for them to be delivered and they were facing sure death. He noticed some people who continued to rejoice and sing hymns and it was Moravian believers. And he interviewed, he said, how is it that you were so calm when it looked like we were going to perish? And that wise Moravian minister asked John Wesley, got him to thinking. He said, do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? And he said, well, I know that he is the Savior of the world. And the Moravian minister wisely asked John Wesley, he said, but do you know that he died for you? Hey, friend, are you listening? You can know John 3.16 and can quote it. You can know the facts, the historical facts about Jesus Christ, that doesn't save you. Knowing that he died for the sins of the world won't take your sins away. Knowing that he rose from the dead isn't enough. You must trust him personally. You must trust that when he died on the cross, 
That he wasn't just dying for the world, but you've got to see it as a personal thing. You've got to see him dying for your sins. When they put him in the tomb, he was buried because of your sins. When he came up from the dead, he rose for your justification. It's got to get personal, and you must trust him for that. Not just his death, but also his resurrection. Amen and amen. And old John Wesley was troubled because in his heart he knew, I don't know that he died for me. Well, getting back to the story, he ended up at a place called Aldersgate on May 25th, 1738. And he heard some people reading from the preface of Martin Luther's commentary on the book of Galatians. And in that preface, it began to discuss the great doctrine of justification by faith. And as, as John Wesley listened to that exposition... I think it was actually his uh, preface to the book of, of Romans. It says this. This was John Wesley's own testimony. He said this. I felt my heart strangely warmed, and it was there that I trusted in Christ that he had died for my sins and even taken them away. He said it was there that I first trusted in Christ fully for my own salvation. And he described that experience, that simple trust in Jesus Christ and his resurrection he trusted that and he described that event as, quote, I felt my heart strangely warmed. And I'm telling you, these disciples had their hearts strangely warmed. And what warmed it? It was the great promises of the Old Testament scriptures that, yes, the Messiah would suffer. And, yes, the Messiah had prophesied that he would rise from the dead. And they went on their way rejoicing when they knew that he was alive. And I'm going to tell you something, friend, you can rejoice if you have trusted the one that not only suffered but also rose from the dead. Because that Bible tells us very plainly that, Mo, uh, that Abraham was, quote, justified by faith. God imputed righteousness to Abraham when he believed the promise of God in Genesis chapter 15 that he would have a seed that would be more than the number of the stars in heaven. And the Bible says in Romans chapter 4 that being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. And this is talking about Abraham believing that promise. It says, therefore, it was imputed to him for righteousness. What was imputed? God imputed righteousness to Abraham for believing the promise that he gave to Abraham in Genesis 15. Now look at this, verse 23. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also. In other words, the fact that Abraham believed God and it was accounted unto him for righteousness, that was written for our learning and it was written for us also. To whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses, and, quote, was raised again for our justification. Have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was delivered for your offenses, your sins against God, and then was raised again for your justification? Have you believed that message for your own, as your own? Well, if you have, therefore, it says you are justified by faith. And being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, those disciples were sad because they were slow of heart to believe all that was written uh, by the prophets in the scriptures. Well, listen, Christian friend, on this side of the cross, we not only have the Old Testament scriptures that bear witness to the sufferings and resurrection of the Lord Jesus, but now we have the New Testament promises as well. What kind of promises? Promises such as this one, to him that worketh not... Are you working to get to heaven? Stop your work right away. 
Sit down. Quit trying to work your way there because all you're doing is earning wages. Your work, apart from putting your faith in Jesus Christ, all of your good deeds and your good works, Isaiah 64, 6 describes them as, quote, filthy rags. Quit working right away. Quit working. Stop. Stop working and listen. Listen to what the gospel says. Let your heart be warmed. Your heart will burn within you if you believe what the scriptures say. It says to him that worketh not, but what does he do instead of work his way to heaven? It says him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly. His faith is counted for righteousness. Are you ungodly? The Bible says you are. Now what saith you? You know, the Bible says, can two walk together except they be agreed? Well, you can't walk with God unless you agree with God. And God says, of me and of you and of the sweetest person you know on this earth, he says of all of us, there is none righteous, no, not one, for there is none good. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We saw that when we looked at the law of God earlier. So, do you agree with God? God's estimation of man is that he has a heart that is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And nothing unclean or defiled will ever enter into God's heaven or into his presence. Do you agree with that estimation of yourself? Or are you still going to be like most men? And Proverbs 20 verse 6 says, Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness. Well, I'm not going to proclaim my own goodness. I have none. I believe what God said about me. I agree with God because I want to walk with God. Do you agree with God's estimation of you? Well, if you do, that means you're ungodly. But the good news is Christ died for the ungodly and rose again for their justification. And so to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Even as David also, look, now he goes to the Old Testament, just like the Lord Jesus did. Even as also David describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. God not only forgives our sins through Jesus Christ, he covers them in the blood. Listen, John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus Christ coming to the river Jordan, said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. He doesn't just forgive a believer's sins. He takes them away and covers them in the sea of his forgetfulness. And verse 8 says, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. You say, who is that man? It's the man in verse 5. I talked to a re religious man one time who was trusting his church and his good life to get him to heaven and yet was 88 years old and had no idea where he was going. I'm telling you, if I'd have served the church that he served, it was a Roman Catholic church. If I'd served a church for as many years as this man had and still didn't have assurance of where I was going when I die, amen, that's not very much of a good religion to offer if he had served it for all of his life and still didn't know where he was going when he died. Do you know why he didn't know? Because if you're trying to get yourself to heaven by your own good works, you can never know if you've done enough. My friend, you'll never do enough and your good works are as filthy rags in the sight of God. But my dear friend, Jesus Christ has done enough and he accomplished for you what you and I could never accomplish for ourselves. He accomplished it for you and he accomplished it for me. When Jesus died on the cross, he said it is finished. His blood atonement had been made. When he came up from the dead three days later, as the Old Testament and the New Testament testify to, amen, that proves that God the Father accepted that blood payment that he made for our sins. 
And he made that payment for our sins and not for ours only, but, quote, for the sins of the whole world. So quit trying to work your way there and insulting God with all of your efforts when you don't, your efforts don't count. It's the work and the effort of Jesus Christ that counts. And listen, it's to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly. His faith is counted for righteousness when you quit working and you simply rest in the finished accomplished work of Jesus Christ, that's, my friend, when you can find the warmed heart. Did not our heart burn within us? Oh, please listen to me. Don't be slow of heart to believe what the Bible says. The Bible says you can be saved. How can you be saved? It's through the finished work of our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for your sins, was buried and rose again. And the Bible simply tells you now, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. Trust him today, and pass from death to life. May God help you to know what that warm heart is by believing all that is written in the Scriptures. Eternal life can be yours, but you'll have to take Christ as your Savior.